Women making waves. Maybe I shouldn't, but I I scroll down a bit of Instagram sometimes. I sort of gravitate towards Insta posts that uh, show how to cut hair. So women or men go in and they want a different hairstyle and the hairdressers really just... I suppose just changes them. It changes their whole hairstyle. It's really therapeutic to watch somebody cut someone's hair. Does that sound a bit odd? Seriously? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yes, it sounds odd. How bored would you have to be? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like watching a painter paint a wall. Yes. And then watch it dry, really. That's it? what my husband says when I invite him to go to the ballet sometimes. He says, I'm never going to the ballet again because it is like watching paint dry. <laughs> does he watch people getting their hair cut then? No, no. Of course he, he doesn't. No, of course he, he doesn't. doesn't. Look, Linda, let's just put this in perspective. It could be like five minutes a week where I think, oh, I'll just have a look at that little Instagram post. <laughs> oh, can't wait to get back to my haircut. So what <laughs> happens? Do, does a client come in and then do they have a chat about what they're going to be doing no, to the hair? No, they're just you just literally pan into the lady or the... You don't hear what you're up to at the weekend? No, no, because they have that, that music on, don't they? There's sort of soft music going on. And the lady sits in there and you just literally see her being transformed. She's got wet hair or maybe she's got tangly hair or she's got blonde hair and it needs to be just resorted. And you just watch and it, they speed up the motion. So within 30 seconds, you've gone from not very good hair colour or condition to somebody who looks amazing. Do a lot of people watch this? I've no idea, Linda. <laughs> Or is it just you? <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's probably just me, yeah. So, <laughs> you don't really approve, do you? <laughs> well, it's it's strange, Susie, yes. to be fair. It's yes. strange that you will actually think, ooh, I must go on to that hairdresser. <laughs> is it the one hairdresser then? Oh, no, there's loads, there's loads of Instagram posts about somebody's transformation from having dull-like hair and not very conditioned hair to having a, literally a transformation. But because it's sped up, it's it's a, a nice, quick fix. It's very voyeuristic, isn't it, in many How ways? How do you think that conversation starts then? You go into a hairdressing shop to get a haircut. You're looking a bit of a mess, frankly. You've <laughs> yeah. looked better. Yes. You've looked better. And the hairdresser <laughs> says, wow, you're not looking your best. Do you mind if I film you and put you on Instagram? Because we've got this woman called Susie Thorpe who loves to log in and watch the end results and we'll make you look a lot better. And I'll say, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Can I get a discount, please? And there's no, 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 we charge you extra for for appearance. And it only takes you 30 seconds. No, it doesn't, but it's just the film spinning. But never mind. Everybody has a little quick fix, don't they, somewhere along the line? Well, I don't know. (laughs) Clearly you do. Okay, Susie, to bring you back to Earth and to the real world, I think we should tell everyone about our guest today. We've got two great women again for you today. First of all, we have Professor Catherine Lee. Really interesting story, actually. In the 1980s, she was impacted by the fact that Section 28 legislation was brought in. And if you were gay at that point, it really did have an impact if you were a teacher in school. And we'll hear all about Catherine and that story. And the fact it was actually helped inspire a film. Really interesting story. And our second guest is a lady called Hannah Hagen. And wow, this is a very inspiring story as well. She came up with the idea 
of how she could teach preschool children about computer coding. And it is all about computer coding now. And she started a business called Unplugged Tots. And it's about teaching young children the art of computing. But the interesting part is, it's minus the computers. That's the way to do it. Excellent stuff. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. The idea of teaching preschool tots about computer coding seems a little bit of a stretch. But our guest today has found a way to get over the ideas behind coding in a way that children find engaging. And it all started because of an event run by Cambridge-based Raspberry Pi. We're keen to learn more about this story. So welcome to Women Making Waves, Hannah Hagen. Hello. Hello. Now, before we talk about your Unplugged Tots project, well, let's hear a little bit about you. You've got a background in IT. How did that start? Well, I started off life as a kind of a trainee teacher, secondary school teacher, and realised I wasn't quite the material I needed to be to, to become a teacher <laughs> in secondary, a secondary school. school. I know, that is tough, <laughs> isn't it? That is really tough. Did you find it that you were dreading going into work every morning? It was hard. And I think because I went straight from A-levels to university, straight into kind of teacher training, it was just, I hadn't had the life experiences, if you like. So I, I stopped that and found myself in a legal technology company kind of as a solutions company and ended up being an IT trainer so much much easier teaching adults who much want to learn the topic yes. indeed <laughs> indeed yes so that was that was kind of my route into IT on that subject Hannah the IT training how did you get on to be a were you teaching IT so the the company that I worked for sold solutions and IT products to law firms and those lawyers needed training and support on how to use them. So I travelled basically around the country. I went to Dubai, went to America and trained lawyers on how to use these systems. So there's a kind of a very tenuous link in that I had all kind of the, the training for how to teach children. And then I transferred those skills across to how to teach adults. I can imagine that that'd be really welcome on your CV, actually, the fact that you are a teacher by profession. Mm. So you then had children yourself. Did you find it easy to continue with your career after having children? It's always a very difficult time for women. It is. It is. So I, I kind of moved away from training. I ended up leaving the profession. So I took, I think it was about three years out in the end. And I've now got a, a fabulous job with a kind of slightly different organisation and I'm in marketing now. So I'm kind of, again, transferring those skills into marketing, but it is still within the legal IT community. So I'm still on the kind of the periphery, if you like, of IT. Hannah, you sounded a bit sad when you said you were leaving the profession. Am I touching on something that's not really there or... Was that a decision that was a hard decision for you to leave that profession? It's really difficult, I think, because it's almost as if, as women, we have to make that choice. That choice is not an easy choice. It's a, a kind of a yes or a no. And I think you, you want to be the mother that's there for your children or you want to be a career kind of orientated mm. woman. And it's very, very difficult to try and be both. I'm only just starting to be both now. 
you either throw a load of money into childcare or it shouldn't be this and all way it is, no, you know, and it's, it's no. just, it's, and that's, this is one of the reasons why I kind of started to do what I'm doing because I am so lucky that I've, I've engineered my career now where I can have a bit of a kind of a portfolio career where I, I work part time and I have time in the evenings and at weekends to do my, people call it a side hustle, but it's a, it's a passion project. You know, I am so passionate about what I do with my other hat on because I want to open these doors so that gender isn't a thing that defines your career choices and what you end up doing with your life. It, it shouldn't be about that. You should be able to be and do what you want to do. And this project that you talk about is Unplugged Tots. Mm. How did you come up with the idea behind that? How did that get started, <laughs> Hannah? <laughs> it's really funny because my husband is really into technology. He was a kind of a developer by trade and then moved into management. And he has always been interested in Raspberry Pis. So Raspberry Pis are kind of little credit card-sized computers based in Cambridge and... In 2018, they were hosting a Raspberry Pi festival. Mm-hmm. And he said, come on, let's, let's go along. Let's have a family day out. Let's go along. So I was like, oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a day out. <laughs> Sending great vibes. Yeah, I know. The enthusiasm is really that. good. That was, drive. that was entirely how I felt about it. I was like, you know, we'll just, we'll just go along and see what it's all about. And honestly, as soon as those doors opened... And I saw all the possibilities and I saw all of these things that people were doing with 3D printers and wearable technology and these little robots that moved. My children at the time were two and four and they were transfixed. They just could not get enough of this stuff. And they ended up trying to do some coding on Scratch Junior and they were getting so frustrated because, you know, at two and four, they couldn't read, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't really use a mouse. And they're like, mommy, help me, mommy, help me. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I've got to read all this stuff. I, I don't know what to do. They were so desperate to learn these things. And I'm like, why should the lack of being able to read be a barrier to them? So I wanted to change that. So on the train home, I was thinking all these kinds of things, like how can I get children to learn these things, the kind of the pre-computer coding elements that you kind of need to use um, Scratch Junior and the like. How can I get them to do that? And so I was thinking all sorts of things about, you know, screen technology and apps and things. And I thought, I need to strip everything right back. Think about what the children actually enjoy, what they do. And they play. They play with things. They play with dolls. They play with, you know, sticks and things. And how can I use those elements within the teaching that I can offer them? So that's that's how it was born, and it's just snowballed from there, really. One of uh, my youngest friends, her grandmother, just so happened to be a doctor of education at the Open University, and I was talking to her about it. And we decided to do a little pilot project with my youngest and a group of her friends. And we ran a six-week pilot where we'd kind of created a load of activities that would strip all of the what we kind of call the core computational thinking themes out, turn them into activities. And they had a whale of a time. They absolutely loved it. And then the the local nursery got wind of it. (laughs) And they wanted, they ended up having 12-week sessions. And then we ended up writing an article 
in a, an academic journal about it that got peer reviewed. So, it, you know, it completely snowballed and became this, well, and still is this, this big thing that there's not that much research out there about how we can use unplugged activities or screen-free activities to help children with computational thinking. So this, this little festival mm-hmm. that I went to that I was like, oh, fine, we'll go for a day out, actually turned into something absolutely marvelous. <laughs> and life-changing. And it is, it's just, it is absolutely life-changing for so many people. It's had such a huge ripple effect and I, I had no idea how much of an impact that it would actually have. Mm. I was reading about this actually before we just started to talk to you, Hannah, and what I found really interesting, and I, actually I thought it was quite scary that you wanted to take all screens away, and I was thinking, mm. well, how do you teach <laughs> coding <laughs> if you don't have a screen in front mm. of you? So you've actually managed to do something that, as you say, no one else has tried to mm. do that you know of, I suppose. Well, there are people doing, and actually I, I'm trying to build up a kind of a networking group because I think no one should be in competition when it comes to things like this. We're all trying to reach the same end goal in that we're trying to kind of pull up those on the proverbial ladder and kind of push them on their way, you know. But there are other people doing it. And I know of one other lady who she's writing novels, so she's got two little characters and she's kind of talking about that kind of the, the, the hardware elements of computers and things like that, using these two characters to kind of give children a kind of basis. You know, there are lots of people trying to do similar kinds of things, but I'm coming at it from a more of a, a research and academic point of view as well, because I think it needs to be going into schools and national curriculum a lot more than we realise So basically, in a nutshell, these are games and activities Mm. that are specifically geared to make children think in in a way that will help them in later Mm -hmm. life to think about coding. So Mm it will be organising data, if you want, or Mm organising things in a certain way or seeing patterns in Mm -hmm. things. It'll be all that kind of thinking, I'm assuming. Yep, it is. So the way I've organised it, so computational thinking, there's kind of four key pillars. There's pattern recognition. There's deconstruction, where you're breaking down problems into kind of smaller, easier to manage chunks. There's algorithms, which are essentially a set of rules. And there's sequencing, so those sets of rules, that's the order that that they should be in. And then I've kind of got periphery concepts. So we've got logic, which involves problem solving and critical thinking. And then I've got debugging and resilience, which is quite a big thing for me because I think a lot of emphasis on when children play is on getting things right when actually what we should be doing is if we get things wrong none of that is is a problem and actually sometimes when we get things wrong we actually make a better end product because we've thought through the problem Um, so that kind of takes us into kind of like the whole growth mindset element as well. So then another kind of periphery pillar is maps, uh, navigation and direction, which I think is something, it's not necessarily a core computational thinking theme, which is why I've kept it on the periphery, but it's quite a key transferable skill into, you know, later adulthood and things like that. You know, I know we've got sat nav, but learning how to navigate is quite... quite important it is it is actually it did amuse me Hannah that one of the reviews on your website is from a nursery manager 
who mentions that the children were able to use words and learn words such as algorithm. And I just had this vision of a child going home from nursery at night and using that in a sentence and the parents kind of going, what the devil? (laughs) It's so, so amusing, actually. But really good if they learn words like that and what they mean at a really early age. Yeah, it's part of the building blocks of um, of teaching well, them. Well, it absolutely what... is. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, at key stage one, they are supposed to know what an algorithm is and basically perform a very basic algorithm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's absolutely fine. But I think if, if you're going into teaching someone that just kind of from a, a very basic starting point, then you're missing out on so much other stuff you can teach them, yeah. you know? So the last pillar that I want to talk about is just probably one of my most important ones is about the idea of inclusivity, collaboration, communication and representation. Because I think that underpins everything that I'm trying to do within Unplugged Tots in that everyone should have that seat at the table when it comes to kind of STEM careers or STEM learning and having the ability to listen to other people and kind of advocate for other people. If, if someone's perhaps got a particular skill in an area that you might not have, saying, well, Jimmy can do that because he's better at it than I am, or Sophie can do that because she's got a really good skill in XYZ or something. And having that ability from a really, really early age is so powerful because then it becomes the norm. And then that becomes normal later on in life when you're in the workforce. And I I see it. When I was in the nursery, I saw these children helping each other and working together. And I think that's so, so powerful. So powerful. Earlier you said about leaving your profession to go on to do something else. Have you found now, as a woman with children, how is your work-life balance going now that you have got this unplugged? I would like to say I've got the balance right. (laughs) So I, I work within school hours, four days a week, and I'm very lucky because I'm able to work at home, and that was pre pre pandemic. I'm very lucky that I've got a very supportive husband. But I think because I manage my time, if something doesn't get done for Unplugged Tots, then it's on me. Does does that make sense? Mm. Because it's a a real passion of mine. It doesn't feel like work. I know that sounds really corny, doesn't it? But it's... No, that's great. That's what what everyone is striving for, Hannah. If you do something you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. You know, you've heard that phrase. That sounds like you've hit the right button there. Yeah, I'm very lucky that I've got two really interesting hats that I wear. Well, I've got three because I'm a chair of governors as well. But... um, it's it's really interesting that they all kind of tie in with each other and it's it's this this whole thing of kind of females in tech it just mm. is all kind of veering towards that same end goal for me to be honest i like also hannah and if you hope you don't mind me saying but i liked your vulnerability in this you accept that sometimes things don't work mm. and then you find another way i like that and a lot of people don't quite see that that you you can have things go wrong, but then you learn from it and you move on. And, and it sounds like you are very proud of yourself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I never, ever thought 
that in June 2018, I'd go to this festival <laughs> and I'd end up teaching children uh, how to ice a biscuit, which is one of our activities we do that introduces the idea of algorithms and sequencing. I never, ever thought brilliant. that I would yeah, end up brilliant. doing this. And I absolutely love it because that seeing the look on those children's faces when they just get something or they make a mistake and they laugh, they take those steps back and they work out where that point was that they made the mistake. They debug it, they fix it, they try again and everyone's, you know, cheering for them and reading. I mean, that for me, just, it's just magic. And again, that probably sounds so, so corny, but it's that spark <laughs> to, to light that thing in those children. It's, it's yeah. so special. I'm so privileged to be able to, to do it. I can it. just kind of see you in your kitchen. Icing that's too runny and saying, right, children, we're going to debug this. What do we need to do to fix? <laughs> <laughs> do you know that is how it is? <laughs> And then there's these children and they've got sticky hands. Oh, do you know, I love it. I absolutely love it. You mentioned gender and inclusivity. Do you feel optimistic about the future when it comes to getting more women into STEM? Absolutely. I think there are a lot more females in leadership roles that are opening the proverbial door and welcoming everyone in. And I think there's a lot more male advocates that are kind of helping everyone as well. When I started, it was all because I've got two girls. It was all about, we must get more females. And actually, it isn't about that anymore. It's everyone. Everyone needs to have some sort of representation. Do you think there is a a route for national curriculum to have your teaching programme as well in there? Absolutely. I think one of the projects that we're working on now, we're looking at early years and creating a kind of assessment framework. So one of the things that happens is teaching professionals will do a degree and a PGCE. And those professionals might have done a kind of standard degree in a, I don't know, English, math, science subject or something. They might not have necessarily done anything to do with tech. And so you're trying to teach children all of these things that are already on the national curriculum. And then you're being told, well, we need some ed tech stuff. There's limited guidance out there. There's limited assessment criteria out there. And so what we are working on, myself and my colleague Val, is how we can help educational professionals with that. So we're running this project at the minute. Hopefully we'll get some good data to actually give teachers a but like a framework so that they can say, well, this is the criteria, the success criteria and a baseline so that in the early years, which is nursery age and reception age, there's this foundation of knowledge for the year one teachers to build upon when it is part of the national curriculum. It's just moving everything in that direction, really, mm. because some of the stuff that I teach Whilst it's specific to early years, my nine-year-old still does some of my stuff because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't always need to have technology to teach tech. You really, really don't. If you, if you strip everything right back to kind of its basic form and apply it to what the children are interested in, then it's engaging for them. You have your website, unpluggedtots.com. Yeah. So it sounds like that website is aimed towards educationalists nurseries parents 
ironically, it's parents. That's who I ended up starting to talk to this idea. And it's kind of morphed into being teachers now. I mean, I still have my downloadable packs and stuff on there and my actual physical packs that I send out. But it seems that there's more of a need for supporting education at the minute. I think this is this is where I'm just spending most of my time at the minute, is research. I love what you just said. You don't need technology to teach tech. That is a very interesting statement, Hannah. It kind of came very, very early on because I didn't want the, not the hassle, but... It was kind of like an admin hassle of of if I was going to do a session with six children, say, having to use a computer for each of them, there's so much extra learning that is required. I didn't want to waste time. I wanted to really get them straight into the detail of what an algorithm is and how we can, you know, apply that in a in a child friendly manner. I didn't want to get bogged down in, you know, this is a mouse and this is what we do with a mouse and this is a screen. This is keep. They're not interested at that age. They just want to play. And so focusing on the fact that they want to play means that we just remove the tech element, the screen element. We did use these bee bots so they're floor or tabletop-based kind of robots, but they've got no screen. And so in this six-week session, we were building up we're kind of scaffolding the learning kind of week on week. And the last two sessions, we use these B-bots and they have these little buttons on the top, forward, back, left and right. And so that's where the, the maps and direction element came in because we actually went out into the garden and we, we'd drawn a map and the children had to kind of navigate themselves around this garden. And then we apply that back into the classroom and we, we use these B-bots and they program these B-bots to navigate around the garden. So we're kind of taking the idea of a paper-based map, then we're taking it to a 4D version where you're physically navigating around something and then you bring it back in to navigate something else around there. So all of these kind of different layers are all getting inside these children's brains so that when they come to learning about maps, They've got this foundational knowledge already. I do remember years ago when my children were learning uh, maths. And is it the same with maths? That if you you have a great foundation in maths, and if you have a great foundation in technology and digital, that you think in a different way and you think in a more efficient way. Does that that make sense, Hannah? Is that how you feel about your children and the experience you've had so far? Yeah, absolutely. So even in the six weeks... I did see a difference between when they approached a certain task in the first week, we'd repeat that same task in week four. And the way that they would approach it would be completely different. That's really interesting. It is really interesting. And that's one of the things that we're looking at in this particular study that we're doing is we've established a baseline. I can't talk too much about it because it's, you know, we've got lots of work to do on it. But we've established what we want that baseline to be. We will then repeat that at the end of the six weeks to see what the progression of learning has been. And I think that's why this this kind of whole idea has kind of morphed into being more about what the teachers want, because they need that more than the parents at this stage. They need to know what the baseline level of knowledge for these children needs to be. I know we've touched on this, but it does seem to be that at a certain age in school life, that after about 13, girls tend not to work, want to go mm-hmm. into STEM. I don't know. Do you get the impression that 
that's something we have to tackle, that girls sort of lose interest, they don't want to be yeah. nerds. Yeah, I, I would love to, and I've just signed up to be a, a STEM ambassador. I see my focus not only being within kind of the early years, but I see it kind of at the other end of a child's academic career, if you like, late teens or looking at, you know, GCSE or A-level options, because I want them to see that whilst I'm not a kind of computer programmer as such, I'm very much in the, the tech space. I see a lot of tech companies and the people on the boards at those particular tech companies, and they all look the same. You know, they're all the same. <laughs> you know, I can imagine. And it's, yeah. it's, well, what, you know, what problem are you trying yep. to fix if you all look the same? You know, how can you fix that when yeah. you're all coming at it from the same place? You know, that, that's one of the reasons, as I say, why I thought if, if I become a STEM ambassador, I can go and do some kind of career talks or something to help kind of complete that circle. Absolutely. What a great idea, Hannah. Yeah, well done. That is. It's been brilliant chatting to you about this. It's really enlightening, really interesting. If people want to find out more, they can go to your website, I assume, unpluggedtots.com. They can find out more about you and contact you through that as well, should they want to. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it's, I'm always open to discussions. I think it's such an interesting area for parents and teachers. Hannah Hagen, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, both of you. That's all we've got time for today on Women Making Waves. Our thanks go to our guests, Professor Catherine Lee and Hannah Hagen. We're always on the lookout to feature women living extraordinary lives. So please do contact us if you know of someone we should be talking to. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves. And you can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website, womenmakingwaves.co.uk, where you can hear all of our interviews. See you next time. Bye. Bye.